Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love to us. We thank you for our special guests that are with us tonight and those that are still on their way. We just ask you to bless our service, that you'd be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Fine, wave your hand there. Brother Jason's passing them out. And uh, we'll take just a a few seconds to uh, kind of review as we're trying to get the second half of this lesson in. And uh, let's just go to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment. And again, there's a lot of scripture references. And if we took time to cover every verse that's even just printed on the outline, uh, we would be here for a month of Thursday nights. And uh, uh, that, again, is not our goal. It's just to cover this in our... Uh, series here, and so we we see the purpose of true teaching in the church. Uh, the the God has given some in verse eleven. God has ordained specific teachers to teach. Uh, these are men in the church. Of course, we do not have apostles today. They were personally trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the uh, men who have given us the direct. Uh, revelation of God, uh, prophets in the idea of bringing new and uh, uh, new revelation onto the scene. God's revelation is closed. All that God has given us, all that we need to know. This is why uh, you have to be very, very careful. And one of the essence uh, of false teachers is Always something new. Uh, always something interesting. And let me tell you, there's some excitement in something new. I had a music teacher once, and, and uh, he would uh, talk to us about different things. And, and he was quite a philosopher as well as a good musician, a Christian man. He said, one of the greatest joys is being the first to open the can of coffee. And, and I wish I could explain to you how he did it. Coffee comes in bags now. Uh, it's a little different than, than, than opening the old can and the aroma and all of that. But he made a statement is, he is richest whose pleasures cost the least. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty good. And, and uh, we, we have to be careful because there's always that aura with new. In fact, uh, you can go to the auto parts store and you can buy new car smell for your old stinky car. Uh, I don't know about you, but that new car smell does something to my sinuses that is very, very bad. I, I cannot handle that. Uh, but uh, And I've never had to worry about it either, amen? Uh, so there's probably a good reason there. But the new... There's always that excitement about something new. Now, be careful. If it's new, it's not Bible. If it's Bible, it's not new. The Bible is an old book. In fact, the Bible is the oldest book in history that you can pick up. Part of your Bible. Stop and think about it. Moses was the first to pen the Scriptures 1,800 years before Jesus Christ. Go to the bookstore and ask for a 3,800-year-old book and see what the guy at the bookstore does. Uh, well, uh, uh, 
Uh, if they know anything, they'll go get you a, a Bible, but it probably won't be a King James, and that's a whole other subject there. But um, let's keep moving here. And, and then we, we uh, their purpose here in the outline from last week is there printed for you, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you'll notice there's not one statement about realizing your inner champion's uh, self-actualization, uh, uh, growing your personality and, and learning how to uh, whatever, uh, what was it, turn your scars into stars or, yeah, yeah, or your lemons into lemonade. And I've always been, enjoyed those things, but I haven't quite ever figured out if life gives you lemons where you're supposed to get the squeezer. So you can get the juice out of the lemons where you're supposed to get the sugar. Uh, it might be helpful if you had a pitcher and some ice and uh, all of those. They don't tell you where to get those things. Because they don't know. They have no clue. You see, the Bible doesn't tell you to take your lemons and make lemonade. It simply says, be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's all it says. It's so simple, and the work, and, and I want to just bring this together. Second uh, Timothy 2, two says, Faithful men who are serving in the church are supposed to teach other faithful men. They're supposed to be a perpetuity, if we'd use a good uh, Bible, uh, a good word that describes what we're talking about here. And the aged women are supposed to teach the younger women how to be at home. How to take care of their families. If, if you have questions, don't, don't depend on the Internet. Uh, Wikipedia has lots of information. But I, I hope you don't use Wikipedia to raise your kids. Amen? Uh, Learn these things. You see, all teaching in the Bible, every biblical teaching that the Bible talks about in the New Testament has the same goal. It's to help bring the lives of believers in Jesus Christ to true and simple obedience to His words and service in the church. If you're learning something and it doesn't help your service in the church, that's not True biblical teaching. I don't care how good it does uh, with your job, or and you need to learn about your job and all of those things, and you ought to be educated and you ought to do a good job at work, but that's not biblical teaching, my friend. Biblical teaching will show up on how you behave in the fellowship of the local church. Read the rest of of, of Ephesians chapter 4. That's what it's all about. And if the, it doesn't result there, then no matter how good it appears or how wonderful it sounds, you need to mark it up as unbiblical teaching. False teachers. If there's one thing that we face today, and uh, you study the history of Germany at all, one of the reasons Germany is such a closed field today is it is... One of the places where the false teachers, what we call modernism, if you uh, remember Brother Horton when he was coming, he'd always talk about uh, the modernist. 
Uh, and that's because Brother Horton came from a time period uh, where the modernists had already done their work. That was the name. Uh, uh, we use the word liberals today, and we have political liberals as well as uh, uh, biblical liberals. And, and they do exactly the same thing. And uh, what we have to understand is in Germany, it's a country that started the greatest guy in Germany was Martin Luther. He's not a good guy. He is not a good guy. His salvation experience, he got struck by lightning and fell off his horse and got scared so bad he went into the monastery and became a Catholic priest. That's his salvation story from his own writings. Now, yes, he did talk about uh, grace alone and for the glory of God and salvation by grace, but he understood his Bible so poorly he didn't want to put the book of James in the Bible because it talked about works. And you see, the Bible says if your faith doesn't produce works, it's dead. And dead faith doesn't get you to heaven, my friend. You have to understand there's, there's a relationship. If, faith, if your faith is living, it's going to produce works. And those works are going to show up in the fellowship of the church. That's where they're going to be. If you're the most wonderful Christian outside the church and you've got problems inside the church, I want to tell you, you, you are in the red zone, the danger zone. Because that kind of Christianity is not in your Bible. And that's why we have to watch because, I'll tell you, we live in a world that's just full of false teachers. And we spent time, and we'll just run over this real quickly. Uh, Paul, as he was explaining to the Ephesians in, in Miletus on his way back to Jerusalem, he said, the wolves, they're going to come from among you. It doesn't mean uh, that just someone from outside the church. And of course, we've had stories in history where people have come from outside the church. But the greatest problem is people who rise up inside the church with false doctrine, with, with wrong things. And Paul told the Corinthians, he said, there, there must be heresies among you. Jesus gave the parable of the tares and the wheat. And he said, let them grow together. He said, you're going to be able to tell the difference when it comes time to produce the fruit. And then in Revelation, again and again, and all through the Bible, we have warnings of false teachers, false teaching. Now, if you want protection, right here it is. This is the only protection that you can have. Because I will tell you, there are false teachers out there that I couldn't win an argument with. Number one, because I've learned enough that you don't argue with false teachers. Amen? And number two, they are just better talkers. This is one of the problems with what... Um, uh, I remember when I was a student, they, they taught us argumentation and debate. And I think that's a class at Heartland, too. It's, it's just one of those classes they put in there. But here's the thing. 
Here's the number one rule of debate. You must out-present your side of the argument. It's not. Don't fall for the trap. We had the presidential debates. Why were they so ridiculous? Because they weren't arguing right and wrong. That wasn't the issue. The issue was the opinions expressed by the commentator most of the time. Uh, had nothing to do with the candidates. That's why it's so ridiculous. Just because I can win an argument doesn't make me right. If I can give you a blatant example, O.J. Simpson. The murderer was acquitted. Someone said, uh, the shortest book that was never written, My Hunt for the True Killers by O.J. Simpson. Amen. The guy had a good lawyer. He had better lawyers. And he was acquitted. Can I challenge you? The same thing has been going on in and around theological circles ever since there's been enough people to argue about things. What did the disciples do? They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, weren't they? And what did Jesus do? He picked up a little child and sat him on the knee and said, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, we're not going to be in my church like they are out there in the world. It's going to be different. And so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And and we'll just look at some characteristics. And of course, we're not going to deal with every passage. This is not exhaustive. It's just to show you how pervasive this thing called false teaching is. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Oh, I did this last week and forgot to correct it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. It says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marble, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to his works. And we come down here. And we get to verse 30, Paul says, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Paul said, if I'm going to get excited about something, if I'm going to promote something, I want to promote something that's not my best part. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And here's the one number one thing that you have to know about false teachers is self-promotion. The number one thing about false teachers is self-promotion. They talk about Jesus, but where would Jesus be without me? Uh, I remember years ago as a little kid, the 
there was a television show as an evangelist. I don't know if he's still around or not. His name was Ernest Angley. He was in Akron, Ohio. And uh, he said, I had a vision as a little boy. And God took me up into the stars and told me these were all the souls that I would win for him. And as a little boy, I said, man, that guy is cracked, nuts, crazy. But I began to think about it. And here we have this man making himself so important that God would appear to him and give him a vision of all the good things that he would do. False teacher. But it doesn't have to be that extreme. When someone draws attention to themselves... I remember listening to my preacher, Brother Roy Thompson, preach and, and, and sitting there as I was working in the bus garage and trying to get started on deputation and different things. And, and, and when he'd open that Bible and, and just preach and I go, wow, that was so simple. I, that, that was so simple. I, I think I could do that. And, of course, I had plans, and, of course, I never could do that like Brother Thompson did that. But what he did was when he was done, and those of you that have heard him preach, when he's done, you weren't impressed with Roy Thompson, but you sure were impressed with this book. You see, that's the hallmark of a true preacher. And we have to look here because... The people will look to themselves. Uh, we've, we've been there. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 4. And this is a uh, fairly difficult passage sometimes if we're not careful here. As Paul is explaining to the Galatians uh, in chapter 3, he talks about the uh, the false teachers having bewitched or or taken uh, put them under a trance or a spell or influenced them in, in a uh, undue way, and then in verse 17 of chapter four of the book of Galatians, Paul makes uh, a statement here. He says, "They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you." that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Now, we, we read that, and yes, that is a difficult passage. It's worded a little more difficultly than, uh, than other places are. But what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to call their attention. If you read the context there, he said, you received me as a teacher that had come from God. But now you have these other teachers that have come after me and they're getting you excited about things that aren't written down. You know what? It's okay to get excited about things. Good things. Things that you know come from the Bible. He says, they would exclude you that you might affect them. 
you, uh, if, if I wanted to put a modern day application, have you ever heard of the term click? Or little groups? That's one of the greatest tools of false teachers. Is they'll get a little group of people around them and you're not good enough to be in their little group because you're not spiritual as they are. You see, that's one of the things that was going on in the Galatian church, and that's how the false teachers were gaining assent or a fellowship is because people wanted to be accepted. That's something that God put in every one of us as human beings is is we have to we to be that desire to to know that what I'm doing is right to to be accepted to be part of the group. Well, the problem is the group is the church, and there don't need to be any other groups. And if there are other groups inside the church, then we got problems. It's one of the workers of false. Teaching. You see, if you want to get excited about something, you don't need to do it by yourself. See, that's why the Great Commission says, Go ye, therefore. Ye is plural, not singular. And uh, this is one of my favorite little phrases that... uh, uh, I, I coined over the years as Lone Ranger Christians. Boy, they've got the answers. They've got the plans. And you know what? They're not wrong about everything. Sometimes they're more right in what they say than many other people. But they're not right about the way they do things. Because what they do does not build the fellowship of the church. It builds their little fellowship that they have for themselves. And that is where the sin is, my friends. That is where the false teaching gets in. Because that puts division in the church. And that is one of the great sins of the New Testament. Because it hinders the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 2. So, if you, you feel yourself being pulled in... Uh, like you got to join a special little group. No, the only thing you join is the church. Amen? Now, we, we do have a, a ladies group that sings together, and we have some men that sing together, and on Easter Sunday, uh, 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 we put them all together and try to make a little choir. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about secret or, or special fellowships and different things like that. That, that ought not be happening. According to the Bible, it's not the things that should be going on in the church. Look at Second Peter chapter two, and and this will segue into what we're talking about: the characteristics. Uh, look at uh, verse one of Second Peter chapter two. It says, "But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you." who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And it goes on to explain the judgment of God. And we get down to verse 7, and it says, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. God knows how to deliver His people. But you see, these false teachers, they're secretive. They always code it with a layer of truth. Oh, I would never say anything against pastor, but... And they'll never use the word but, because it's so obvious. But we've had that happen in our church over the years. And I don't know of a church that hasn't had it happen in there. And we need to be careful. Because there's always money involved. Always. There's always a promise of something that you want. As we talked about, they, they, they affect you, they isolate you so that you will want to become a part of their little group, so that they can get credence. You know, why do we have all of these arguments that go on in the political realm today? I do not know of any true Bible-believing Christian that's going out and trying to inflict bodily harm on the homosexual community. I don't know of anybody doing that. And yet, they accuse us of it all the time. Here's why. is because just saying it's a sin is so hurtful to them and so damaging to their little mind that they can't stand it. What they demand is that we approve of their lifestyle. And when they can't get it, then they're going to go pass laws. That's why in Canada today, it's against the law to say what I just said. Now, you can get away with it in a pulpit, but if you have a radio program or any public thing, you get taken off the air for that. And uh, there is limits on freedom of speech. And we have to be honest and we have to be careful. It talks about pernicious ways. Now, that word pernicious is a nice big word, but it simply means destructive. And you look here, and at the end uh, of verse 1, it says, Even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, I got a little ahead of myself illustrating the modernism and things that come out of Germany, but you go back to Germany today, and there I don't know of any theological seminaries in Germany that's doing anything today, on any major basis. I mean, there, there might be a few Lutheran things, but they don't teach the Bible anymore. They have completely alienated themselves from the world. From the Word, I'm sorry, not from the world. Their teaching started with the Lutherans and Martin Luther, who just moved from the Catholic Church but refused to embrace the truth. In fact, the only... Uh, 
Baptist preachers that Martin Luther ran into, he made sure that they got pushed into areas where they would be persecuted by the Catholics. He wasn't going to kill them, but he'd make sure they get put in an area where they could be. That's why I don't like the guy. But those that came two or three generations after him had exhausted everything Martin Luther had taught them and began trending toward modernism, making the Bible non-miraculous, making Jesus just a normal person, taking all... And then we have terrible things coming. World War I with the Kaiser, World War II with Hitler. How in the world did the German people, and they weren't all endorsing these things by no means, but what let these evil men ascend to power was because the people had nothing to hold on to in their personal life. Their teachings had led them to a point to where they had nothing to stop them from being pushed over the edge. That's what's happening in America today. It's the same thing. And the idea is, I I look at the Bible college I went to. When Brother Clayton was there, they had, uh, I think, close to a... 500, 800 students when Pastor Folger was there. There was over 2,000 students on campus. Uh, Ten years later, uh, 15 years or, or 10 or so years later when I was on campus, we had 600 students in our freshman class. I don't think they have 200 students in the whole campus today. And they don't train music leaders anymore. They train rock musicians. They literally, they can't have a chapel service without a a rock and roll band to get everybody warmed up. If you only got 200 people, how much warming can you do? Give me a break. What we have to understand is God has made some things that's going to protect us, but when you allow false teachers in, they sow the seeds of destruction with their false teaching. They bring destruction with them because you cannot perpetrate the church of Jesus Christ on man-made reasoning. This is why you have a guy like Charles Wesley and John Wesley in the late 1700s saying, God has called us to bring the message of salvation to the, to His church, the Church of England. Well, excuse me, last time I checked in this Bible, if you're not saved, you can't be a member of a church. It, it works the other way around, doesn't it? But that's how far removed from the truth that they were. And so, what we have here is we need to understand that Jesus is the protector of his church. Matthew chapter 16, he said what? I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that mean individual churches uh, that are always going to continue to exist? No. What it simply means is, since the day Jesus spoke those words, there's always been at least one functioning church according to the pattern of the Bible. At first it was in Jerusalem. 
Then it moved to all around that area. And then the Apostle Paul took it to the Roman world. Peter actually went east and was in Babylon, it says, in different places. Uh, uh, Andrew, they tell us, went and Thomas went toward India. And it's believed that they got into India with the gospel. And uh, there is uh, evidence in, in history that the Apostle Paul made it to Wales and started what uh, is modern day known as the Welsh Baptist churches were started in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you something. Jesus will build his church. And he will keep his church, read the letters in Revelation 2 and 3, as long as the people in his church submit to his authority and follow him. That's why we're doing the series on imitation versus truth. Because there are many churches, as I study the history of the Union Baptist Church, they could write a treatise on every wrong thing that a church could do to destroy itself. Now, they didn't do that purposely, of course, but funds got tight. And so they had the chaplain school, the military chaplain school. For 24 years, they didn't have a pastor. They just had the chaplains from the Army Chaplain School at uh, Fort Hamilton come and preach for them. Well, when you do that, you short-circuit some. Because the church is supposed to have a pastor. Amen? And the teaching comes from the pulpit, not from the people. That's why we don't sit in a circle and have a, what, it just aggravates. It's not studying the Bible. It's a pooling of ignorance is what it is. And every Bible study like that where they sit in a circle that I've ever had any contact with, I'm sorry ladies, I'm not trying to be rude tonight, but there's always some woman that runs and monopolizes the whole thing. Because it's not God's plan, it doesn't work. You don't learn the Bible that way. God never intended you to have a radio pastor or an internet pastor. He intended you to be face-to-face. You know why? Because when you're face-to-face, you're going to have problems. You get two people in a room and you'll have three opinions on any given subject, just about, right? Because we don't even agree with ourselves sometimes. And don't look at me like that. That's where it is, isn't it? It's okay to smile. We're talking about very serious and harmful things. But this is how we strive together to keep these things from hurting our church. Read Second Timothy 3. It says that there are false teachers in the church, but it says that their folly is going to be manifest. Uh, I think of um, oh, that church in Chicago that started the Broadway things and all of that. I can't remember the guy's name right now. I don't think it's really that important. Uh, but he came out just a couple of years ago and said, you know, I, I, I think we got it wrong. I think we just had too shallow of an approach to the gospel. Uh, we need to get a little deeper in our Bible teaching. And I'm just sitting there going, duh, yeah. 
The fact that that's amazing to you, the fact that it's taken you 20-some years to figure that out, Willow Creek Community was the name of the church. We're not here to compete with Broadway. In fact, I've said it many times, we can't. We don't have the quality of musicians, we don't have the quality of actors, nor should we ever. Because we're not here to compete with the world. We're here to be the church of Jesus Christ. And so everything that we need is already given to us in this book called the Bible. That's the protection. And you go to the end of Second Peter chapter 3, and there's some verses there that you ought to have memorized. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Someone said, well, nobody's perfect. According to the Bible, you can be perfect. That's what it says. How can you be perfect? If you're accomplishing that which Jesus wants you to accomplish, to serve him in his church, you're perfect. That's how simple it is. Don't let the world define the words. Let the Bible define the words. When you're doing the works that Jesus wants you to do, whether it be sitting patiently and waiting for God to grow you spiritually to a place of service, whether it be working in the nursery. You know, you ought to be thankful every service we have for ladies that are willing to work in the nursery with those little children because we wouldn't have much of a service out here if it wasn't. In fact, every once in a while, one of them will get screaming and stuff and we've got two walls and extra padding and you can still hear it, but that's okay because we don't want to turn one child away. Amen. I like the way one preacher put it. He said, I got a drug problem when I was, had a drug problem when I was a kid. My parents drugged me to church every time the doors were open. And, and now I'm a preacher. You know? I say, yeah, I, I had that problem too. And it's a good one to have. Amen. And then we get to Jude. And we just want to read two verses and we'll be done here. The book of Jude. Now, People love to quote Jude, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to quote the verse here. Verse 3, it says, Beloved, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Sorry. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now there... If you wonder why sometimes I sound a little argumentative as I'm dealing with this subject, it's because Jude tells us that that we are to contend for the faith. It's not up for option. We're not here to have a discussion about it. There is only one way of salvation. And that's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, if you don't believe the word that tells you that, how are you going to get saved? See, that's why they 
fight about the Bible. Because if they can knock the foundation out from under us, then what can we do? But here's how Jude tells us that we're supposed to contend for the faith. Skip down with me, if you would, to um, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's how we're supposed to contend for the faith. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy. How many of you remember how to get mercy? Mercy is given by the victor to the defeated. How many of you qualify for defeat? I'm not as smart as the world is. I'm not as smart as all those theologians. I don't want to be that smart. Because if I was... I'd be just as stupid as they are. Amen? Because I would miss the simple truths that are in the Bible. And that's where the false teacher comes in. There's a simplicity in Christ that we must never, ever let go of. It is the, the, the false teacher, if they're left to teach, they've taught love to the point where nothing is wrong anymore. I'm, I'm challenging you, that's not love. If you love your children, you correct them, you say no. And if a pastor loves his people, he's going to give you biblically defined parameters so you can feel safe. Amen? And we need to stay in those. And when we feel like we're being pushed or pulled beyond those limits, that's when we need to hold on to the Bible ever so tightly. If it doesn't work in the church, then it's not biblical teaching. It's like the gifts of the Spirit. If you're not functioning in the church, it's not a gift of the Spirit. And what we want to do is, is every one of us is going to be tempted. We're going to be lulled into complacency to listen. Do you, do you have to be so hard all the time? Let's just, let's just take a little break. False teaching. Because you can't take a break from Jesus. He's not the problem. He's the answer. How many of you remember the life that Jesus gave you when you finally realized you were forgiven from your sins? Could you say amen to that? So then why would we negate that with all kinds of other imitations? We need to be careful and we need to watch that our only group, that our only loyalty is to Jesus Christ and to our service together as his church. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would work. Lord, we need your blessings upon our church as never before. As we stretch out here to see Brother Franz start the Morris Park Bible Baptist Church, Lord, as we ask you to extend our missionary giving and our missionary families 
reaching into more countries. Lord, we just come before you and we ask that you would protect us from false teachers. Lord, we're thankful that it's not some great rift right now and things going and yet, Lord, we want to take advantage of this time right now to make sure to just check again that we're not allowing the seed of the false teacher to take root. Work in our hearts, Lord, that we could just love you and serve you. And yet, as your word says, watch you build your church and earnestly contend for that faith which was once delivered. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll just have the piano play. If you need to spend a moment, if you'd like to pray, the altar is open.